Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finally letting everyone know what the truth is and then catching all kinds of trouble for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. This week, we are doing one of the big... Forbidden topics in the Bureau 13 game, which is Bureau 13 goes public. The whole purpose of Bureau 13 is it is a covert organization. All the writing is built around it, but we said, hey, you know, we want to bring the awesome to the game, and sometime you might want to actually do this. So we're going to suggest the possibility that for some reason, and a really, really big reason, the Bureau 13 organization is going to have to go public and let everyone know that they exist and give them at least a decent idea of the scope of its operations. All right, so we don't want to try to give you, say, this is all the stuff that's happening with the Bureau because, frankly, whichever campaign you run, when you do it, you're going to do it differently. The GM is always going to have his own flavor of this. So what I thought we'd do instead is I thought we'd concentrate on just going through the friends, enemies, and in-betweens that are in the Bureau 13 book and its supplements and talk about what we think would be their reaction and what would be you know, their disposition. How would they interact with the American public, with the Bureau post-revelation, anything that might be pertinent to their own little microcosm of the Bureau 13 uh, revelation. And or whether or not they actually do get outed themselves. They may not. Yeah, so we're going to go through the Bureau 13 D20 list, that being the most recent? Yes. And we're going to add some others that we've talked about on the podcast too later on. So, Right. I think the easiest way for everyone to stay on the same page, literally, is for us to just go through the list from top to bottom. General Thomas McAdams. Now, General McAdams has been a long-time supporter of Bureau 13 in that he is essentially the strike force that's pretty much the, the, the most likely to be called in in the case of a supernatural incident that has gone out of control. So he has a, a very close relationship with the Bureau. He's always supported them. He has a very specialized strike team, which is detailed in the Lost Files supplement for Bureau 13. He has a, a close-knit bunch of people that he works with, so when this becomes clear that he's been doing this, as John said, he and his team are going to be in some serious trouble. The reason is there's uh, two uh, acts passed by Congress. The Insurrection Act, written many years ago, but the other one, more important one, is the... Posse Comitatus, yeah. You cannot use military troops to do law enforcement, which is what he's doing. You know, it's law enforcement on non-federal property. And that's what he's been doing. He's been fielding American troops on U.S. soil. And that's exactly what he's done. He's also in violation of the Insurrection Act. If he did ask the president for permission, he'd get the president in trouble. Because if he did ask for permission under the Insurrection Act, which he could have done... Trump loves the Insurrection Act, wants the president then to tell Congress in 14 days what he's done. And you, as we all can tell, the president's never done that. So he's never told the president. So he's also in violation of the Insurrection Act. Oh, yeah. General McAdams would be called upon by every possible Senate subcommittee that there is. It'd be a fight between, between the, the chiefs of staff and the Senate. Who, get, who gets the roast his butt over the pit? Right. And his teams. And his teams, Yeah. Because they're fully aware of the legal actions, too. He might bow out away from the Bureau if they went public? Well, in an official military capacity, he would probably be stripped of rank and mm -hmm. discharged. discharged dishonorably. 
probably. Well, they'll be the court martial, though. Now, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. You, you say it would be that, but no, there are some precedents for other things that would happen. Like a lot of people who are in high positions who have done the right thing, but have still broken laws doing it. He might be forced into retirement. So in other words, retire versus facing any kind of charges or whatever, and then be hired on haha, as a uh, contractor, as a consultant. He might actually wind up better off because... He's not bound by military rule anymore. Right, and now as a contractor, he can make real money doing stuff. What do you think about a blanket presidential pardon for the entire unit? Sure. Yeah, I, I see that. That'd be possible. I still see him, though, being uh, subpoenaed, though, to go before Congress. Oh, yeah, I see that, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he'll he'll get roasted over the coals, and then when they realize, okay, you did this stuff because of this, uh, okay, we really can't throw the book at you, but you still kind of messed up a little. And- well, look, you're his lawyer, right? So what you can say is you, you could you could pull the old I forget there is a legal term for this but it's like if you're basically if you're going to do this to one you must do it to all. It, yeah, the military does operate separately so he could be brought up on military charges separate from civil charges, civilian charges. But it would be really rough for them to do because he could claim that you're letting this entire bureau agency that's operated outside of the law you're not putting any of them in jail, and you're not throwing the book at any of them, yet I'm taking the fall for everything. He could get public support that way. That actually could be a can of worms that could you know, open up for the Bureau. They may say, okay, we'll take your point. And then the, whoever the head of the Bureau is gets a subpoena. That's why I'm saying that possibly the case could be done under... I don't know, some kind of closed court for national security or some, you know, excuse or whatever. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. For some kind of excuse, that would be their excuse, and then they would allow him to retire and then wash their hands of the whole thing. Retire without benefits, basically. Yeah, something like that. But then he could go on to be a – he could work as a contractor, as a consultant, make all that money back and more. There's more than just soldiers. There's more than his rangers because if you have all that equipment, you need – mechanics and engineers there's probably at least a company's worth of people just to support the other company of people he has wait wait it goes beyond that though because if he's got to move those vehicles somewhere he's got to he's got to get fuel and where is he getting fuel is he getting it from the army base well now oh is he stealing from the army to do private missions yeah. Where is he getting his ammo? Where is he Where is he getting these vehicles that he's requisitioning? Well, he actually has taken over an abandoned military base in New Mexico. How many laws is he breaking at this point? And he, he almost would have to get a presidential pardon not to end up in Leavenworth for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. I know. I know what they do because he's probably got friends in government. And the bottom line is they really know that he was doing things for the, for, for the good of, of humanity. So... To, to protect everybody, what does he do? Who's that guy that went to Hong Kong? He pulls a Snowden and goes to IDET. Leaves the planet. Oh, that's as soon as he's fridge-worthy, but you know. Or he could just go to the moon base. The moon, right, there you go. He just disappears. Okay, he has to know people because I see three stars on his hat. To get three stars and be a general, he knows people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't get there without knowing some senators. No. Yeah, so it may be that he's able to be put on parole. We're not going to put you in Leavenworth. You can get a job that you want. The job he wants is working for the Bureau as their security consultant. And every one of his companies is going to get the same treatment, too. He may make a deal that says, okay, I'll serve a year in prison if you make sure none of my people get any problems, but then I'll come out and I'll do whatever I want to. So after a year in prison, he may end up back in the Bureau with his team. And, of course, when you say prison, you mean the summer camp. Yeah, summer camp prison, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he's just waiting out a year, why would he want to escape? Well, no, then he might not. He may actually have multiple requests for as a contractor because he's been dealing militarily with the supernatural. Wouldn't the DOD love to have him in the Pentagon as a consultant? Yeah, absolutely. So there's going to be a bidding war between the Bureau and the Pentagon and who gets to hire him as a consultant. Or maybe he works for both. Who do I work for? The people I know or the people who probably might be able to pay me more? Maybe he works for the Bureau as a liaison at the Pentagon. Oh, play both sides against the middle. Yeah, okay, wow. 
Moving on to Father Zebediah McGarn. Ah, yes. We mentioned him having blessed Mama Lasagna's bat, yeah. Right. Now, it's quite possible that this is actually a moot point because it's quite possible Father Zebediah McGarn is dead. What? Who? Because it says here that he's been patiently waiting for his last great battle with evil before he crosses over the other side. And something caused the Bureau to go public. Oh, yeah. McGarn would have been called to that. So we take we doff our hats and put it to a chest about McGarn. But the cadre of priests that he trained, they would carry on in his name. They don't work for the Bureau. They work for the Pope. But can you imagine the recruitment drive that would happen once they found out that things like demons and vampires and other types of creatures that could be exercised, the spirits and things like that, are real? All of a sudden, this little school, you know, the little school that they had would have a lot more applicants. Catholic seminary enrollment is kind of at an all-time low these days, and you know, various policies have had to be made to entice people to come in. Oh, when you find out you can do it now, oh heck, there'd be a flood in every seminary on the on on the planet. Oh, I disagree because most seminaries don't have courses of study for this. His little seminary will be will become the popular place to go. Yeah, his particular one, yeah. yeah. This is a practical course. So how involved is the Catholic Church in all this stuff? I mean, are, are, are we going to find a Zibidin uh, McGarn in, in Spain, in Italy, and uh, you know, people just like him? The Vatican is not just a city in Italy. It is yeah. a city-state. It is a nation just like Italy. It is a nation within a nation. Therefore, yeah. I see them with a version of Bureau 13 comprised of priests, nuns, members of the Swiss Guard, all ready and, to defend the Vatican against the supernatural. And it's been around since what? Yeah, about, about the second century. So at this point, does the Catholic Church get outed? How are you outing the Catholic Church? They, they might have downplayed it, but they've never disavowed exorcism. They make sure these days that it's not a psychological problem before they try to do an ex exorcism. That's only good work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they say nine times out of ten, it's it's someone who's just got some mental problems and needs to take some medication. Yeah. That often, huh? Ten percent actually is that demonic exorcism? Well, uh, wow. <laughs> that's what he said, you know. I think he means it's a lot rarer than that, you know. People use nine out of ten as, a, as making me is very rare. I'm just pulling your chain, John. Can we, can we just chalk that up to open mouth and cert foot? Yeah, just okay. <laughs> Thinking about religious organizations and the discovery that demons and paranormals are real, I think this could create a very devastating backlash to structured religion, that their interpretation of their faiths could be put into, what's the word? Question? A tailspin? Yeah, because they have a set belief in what is angelic, what is holy, and what is not. And even if there are some demons, like, like Saren, for example, she is a demon, she is a succubus, but she is not evil. I mean, she's chaotic, certainly, but she is not malicious. <laughs> Let's see, self-centered, vain, mischievous. We could go on about Saren's qualities, but anyways. She's not malicious, and, and she doesn't wish to cause intentional harm when it can be avoided. Yeah, but her dad certainly is. Oh, my, let's not go there. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is that if there are other demons or demonic types out there like Serendipity who are willing and able to communicate their knowledge of the astral planes or the demonic planes, the rings and layers of hell, can completely upend and overturn everything that organized religion has been preaching because their faith is incorrect to absolute facts. All stories are true. That sort of, sort of means all stories about the, the various versions of hell, Hades, Niflheim, they're all true. Organized religion, the world is going to be freaking out anyways because of the fact aliens are true, angels and demons are true, time travel is true, 
that's going to throw everybody off their game. The Bible pretty much says, you know, okay, Earth is the center of the universe. You know, we are the race. You know, we govern all the animals. The fact that aliens exist are going to cause people to freak out. And yep. not on a spiritual level, just on a scientific level, that mm -hmm. we are not alone in the universe. Richard Dawkins' heads explodes, you know, because there's gods. So I think just saying that we're going to freak out due to finding out that demons are real, that's just one facet of the major global-wide meltdown. Yeah. Just one step away from Shadowrun. But Amber is right. There is going to be definitely a lot uh, crisis of faith amongst many people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be people that when going along in, in the kind of you know, uh, namby-pamby religion who might suddenly say, hey, i got to get serious now. And there'll be other people who said, well, all this time I thought it was this, and I'm, t and I'm totally wrong. And the government's been lying to me all this time, and it's actually been this, yeah. And it's also possible that there's been disinformation actively promoted through the church because they were trying to discourage people from getting into things like magic and, and contacting demons and stuff. Well, heck, you know, you know, you said that Richard Dawkins' head would explode. What happens when Thor starts walking through Vatican City, and he's like, "Your God is a wimp." <laughs> 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 that was actually covered in the issue of Thor. Was it? He went against a, a paladin and basically had a conversation. Oh. And he said, "Your God is your God, and I am the Norse God of Thor." They went there. Yeah, they went there. Wow. Okay. Since Amber brought this up, I think that Amber should explain about uh, Sauron, who Sauron is, and Saren, serendipity. Saren. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, serendipity. Um, serendipity uh, is a half succubus, half humanoid, half human, um, that I have been creating for the last ten plus years. She's the great granddaughter of Amenhotep III, and if I remember right, she is also the granddaughter of the queen of the uh, 79th layer? I believe so, yeah. Of hell. Yeah, so her father's mother is a queen of the layer of hell. Her father is a prince known as Arubre. Who's also a demon. He Incubus, is a yeah. full-blooded incubus. Yeah. So Amber is talking about a non-canonical character for Bureau 13, which will probably find itself in the next edition. <laughs> yeah. I helped integrate her into Bureau 13's story by saying, after traveling through history, Saren, with her knowledge of history and her Earth Dragon companion, Feng Shen, they now teach advanced courses at Bangor, Maine. So what would Saren do if the Bureau got outed? Exactly. <laughs> I'm reclining with my hands behind my head, waiting for the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Party! <laughs> I think Saren would honestly be very disturbingly ecstatic about it. I, she, as compliant as she can be when she is persuaded to do so, she has a very blatant disregard for rules. She likes to do things on a whimsy and at her whip. And if she looks at the Bureau outing itself in a positive light, which she will, she'll look at it as something that she should take upon herself to celebrate. And her definition of celebrating is kind of concerning to other people. She has very large wings. She has horns, claws, fangs. She, she's half succubus. And she's going to t take this as a, I don't need to hide who I am anymore. So she's going to join the Rainbow Coalition. Is that what you're telling me? After 3,400 years of having to keep herself in check and keep her illusions in place to make herself look like a normal human, she's going to be ecstatic that there's an opportunity that she doesn't have to pretend that she's not something that she is. She may go overboard. She'll go celebrate and probably get in people's faces. And She's not very violent, but she's very enthusiastic. And when she's excited, she can be very immature about it 
Huh. She, she, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she'd be the kind of person who will be bouncing up and down the street, spinning in circles, screaming for joy, and she'll make a scene. And she'll be high on life, and everyone is going to go, there is a woman dancing on the street with horns, wings, fangs. I'm not okay with this. Must be Dragon Con. The way that she thinks, the way that she acts, she expects things to be instantaneous. So, with the Bureau outing themselves, she will look at it as, okay, everything's out in the open now, so I should be accepted now. And I don't care if you need time to adjust. This is fact. Accept it. Get used to it. Here I am. You should be used to me by now. You should have been used to me five seconds ago. (laughs) That's the way she is. But she's a sucker bus, so she can make them used to her. But she true. <laughs> she can make anyone very used to her. All right. Thank you, uh, Amber. And we're now moving on to our good friend, Dr. Offendial, otherwise known as Doc Croc. Trav, who's Doc Croc? A historian fired from a large Eastern university due to his interest in the darker aspects of magic. Basically a storehouse of fact and reference throughout history. He is one of those pedantic guys who, if you let him go, he'll give you information for days on end. Just, okay, you're drinking from the fire hose. And he won't present it in any logical fashion. He'll just skate from topic to topic to topic, giving you little bon mots on each one. Oh, yes, quite. Yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah. This is the fine scotch you brought here. Can I have some more? Thank you. Yes, it kind of reminds me of the saliva of the waffled sea urchin. So is he like kind of like a cross between Giles and uh, Captain Jack Sparrow? No, he's more like Nero Wolf who leaves his leaves his apartment. Who's Nero Wolf? Nero Wolf. He's a very famous fictional detective who sells all the crimes from his apartment. He's a agrophobe. People come to him, deliver the information, and he sells the crime. Okay, because I was thinking of like sort of like Giles as in you know from Buffy. Oh, okay. Sort of like a Giles meets Jack Sparrows. He's knowledgeable about all the supernatural stuff. Oh, you just gave my brain ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, we don't want this. No, God. Don't get her started. I'm sorry, if you look at the illustration, he looks more like a a version of Nero Wolf with a goatee. The illustration kind of looks like Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Yes. A fat Jack Nicholson. (laughs) (laughs) What you see here is is a ghost. (laughs) This ghost is a buddy of his. Oh, wow. That's great. And don't forget uh, Earl. Earl's a Canadian Mountie who died back in... Uh, 1991 in Chicago under odd circumstances. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think he's also sort of stuck there, too. I mean, like like most ghosts, you can't really leave where you're haunting, so... Right. But at the same time, this also means that this ghost has a very pronounced ability to manifest. Mm-hmm. When it comes time to say, hey, the supernatural is real, all of a sudden, he literally can go prime time because he can manifest in any number of ways, either physically and telekinetically. This is the man I see who could potentially end up with his own TV show. Yeah, I was going to say, I could see this guy, like, like so, so this all breaks out to where it's all the, the real deal and everybody knows that all this stuff is true. And it would be the most boring TV show unless he has guests. Well, no, no, he has the ghost. That's his co-host. So the show's like really interesting because you're talking about this straight lace kind of Canadian Mountie. The Mountie straight lace, yes, yes. <laughs> That's his straight man. That would be awesome. What do we call this? Off the wall with off a dial. Right, there you go. I like that. Competition for Letterman, right? Yeah. Either on OWN or, or Bravo or something like that. One, you know, not one of the better networks. Siffy. No, we said one of the better networks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. TNT. I can After see the that. whole Sharknado thing, yeah. He also says that he has a collection of brilliant but eccentric friends who have all kinds of resources in history, magic, philosophy, religion, and science. Whenever a supernatural incident takes place now that's got any kind of visibility, they would have you know breaking news, vampires, coven, preying on so-and-so. And now we cut to Doc Offendial 
who would then be slaved into this, this wall of monitors with each of his cronies would pull them up to give important tidbits. So he'd be there, as you said, John, solving the crime or setting up the uh, probable and appropriate response from his point of view. All while drinking from a cup of coffee, only like Jackie Gleason. That coffee is, is 80 proof. <laughs> Somebody brings him like a real cup of coffee and goes, who put coffee in my coffee? Exactly. Yes, <laughs> indeed. This paranormal think tank is renowned for ferreting out information long believed to be lost to the human race. I would see sitting around a big old table talking about this stuff. More like John McLaughlin group. Yeah, but this is the 21st century, John. Everybody does it through telecommuting and... No, have you ever watched Fox? I had to sometimes. That would assume that this was a preset show and they were getting together to discuss a topic, John. Then I could see that happening. But if this is breaking news and we go to our expert on the subject, Dr. Offenisle, and he has to contact somebody else on the fly, what is he going to do, teleport him in? Well, you know, if all that stuff has been made public, he could, you know, just saying. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, he, they, it would be like, you know, live via whatever and it'd be like a four-way TV conference and all that, yeah. He packs a Walter 38 PPK loaded with wood and silver bullet. Which means he's using the what we refer to as the cotton rounds, creature of the night specials. Yeah. Oh, okay. That are standard Bureau 13 rounds. I was not aware of that terminology. See, folks, once again, I've been with TriTac for 10 years, and I mm-hmm. learned something new every podcast. It's spelled C-O-T-N. Yeah. I would say that that bookstore, the business would just mushroom. It would just bloom because everybody would be, you know, wanting to, like, Oh my God, this stuff's real, and this guy knows all about it? Yeah, he would just get a massive flood of business. He would also get business from people. He would probably want to make sure he has that pistol on his person as well. Oh yeah, because he knows too much. Yeah, <laughs> And there are a lot of people out there that knowing that he has been helping the Bureau all these years will be looking to get some payback because their plans have been foiled. Oh yeah, Earl would be doing double time trying to protect him, yeah. I think it's quite possible he would just literally close up his store and just put a sign on the front that says, by appointment only, because I think he'll be just too busy with referrals and going on constantly to even need to talk to the public anymore. He won't have time for the Bureau. He'll be busy working for other people. When you know as much as he does, uh, they pay better. I'm sorry. The Bureau's been shouldering all the work, policing the supernatural all these years. Yeah. Once it goes public, there's going to be a division in every major police force for this kind of thing. You can see the supernatural division of the FBI being formed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Offadile might be called in on that. I mean, you never know. Oh, the Boston police would be knocking on his door all the time and calling him and just saying, okay, we got another one. What do we do here? You know. You'd think at some point he might have, like, a special doorbell just so he'd know, oh, hey, wait a minute, that isn't the police. Who the heck is at my door? Looking at his skills, 13 plus for craft writing? Yeah, he writes a pillow book. Dude, he's the Dr. Oz of the paranormal. You know that, right? He's going to be writing books, and he's going he's to become a very wealthy man over this whole thing. He already is. He's got Windfall twice, too. Oh, he's, he's going to be wealthy... Yeah. Yeah. What's the term from the one Star Wars movie? Wealth beyond the dreams of avarice. Because he's going to sell books and he's going to have this huge cult following and he's going to be basking in his newfound cult popularity. He may even start his own uh, cult church. (laughs) How to talk to God like I do. You know, (laughs) let's talk about this guy, Ray, Ray Robertson. I'm reading on him and, and, and I'm thinking that this isn't going to affect him very much. I'm looking at, at the, the write-up on this character. He likes working for the Bureau. He likes what he's doing. He's a private kind of guy, it seems. This section is the friends of the Bureau, correct? Yep. Yes. So wouldn't that more or less imply that they don't necessarily directly work for the Bureau, but they're kind of people they know on the side that help out occasionally when when i read robertson's profile i kind of get the impression that he is somebody who works for them full time yeah technically he is he's their head of r&d he is if so he's not really a friend he's a staff member oh yeah he's an employee yeah yeah but but you know what he he's he's also loyal to the organization so he he gets it he this is his thing 
I mean, technically, McGann's would fall to that same bracket as well. He's the, sec- the security arm of the Bureau. It would be a very small section of the book if we just had people who work for the Bureau versus friends, and it makes more sense to put them here and friends, so... This guy, Ray. Now, I would see private organizations approaching him. So, like, take the FBI or, or you know, any kind of, um, you know, personal security. Because, you know, once the world has observed that supernatural things are happening, you know there's going to be a security agency that's going to fill the gap of, of celebrities and rich people and stuff who want protection from the supernatural. Uh, they're going to want to hire some kind of a security agency that can protect them from that as well. No, no. You got, you got to understand who, who Ray Robertson is. The best way to describe him is Doc Brown with full funding. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is is that I could see some of these agencies approaching him because they know the work that he's done for the Bureau and offering him tons of money to, to leave the Bureau and come work for their security agency. I could see even foreign governments wanting to hire him, wanting to, to, to bring him... I don't see him leaving. I see him... I, I don't see anybody approaching him because I see Ray Robertson beating defeat as soon as he can to some secure location and resetting up his shop. Oh, really? Because he's going to take with him everything he thinks the United States government should never get his hands on. He, he's probably going to be considered to be an enemy of the state in certain places if they were willing to come out and publicly announce about this guy because he doesn't want to go through channels. He doesn't want to have oversight. He wants to get his job done because people's lives are counting on it. He's the true believer. He's the one who gets it there within five seconds of you needing it. This guy is not about money. This guy is totally about the job. Yeah, he does it for the love of the game, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Everything having to do with going public is going to stick in his craw because it's going to get in his way. There's the problem with his daughter. Well, technically, daughter in Liz's terms, basically, it's him, only with two X chromosomes and seven X and Y. She's a clone. They did the (laughs) Django Boba thing, made a clone female younger, but it's his kid, yeah. Which is also so completely illegal right now that it's not funny. It doesn't actually have to be something that he did. It could just as easily be someone who slipped over from another dimension where his mom and dad swapped different chromosomes. Yeah. Or it could be an experiment that went slightly wrong. That teleportation experiment he did. Yeah, yeah, it didn't go right as as he thought it should go. Uh. Ray Robertson, I don't see him go in public at all. He'll go deep underground just because he won't have time for all the media He'll be like, no, I've got work to do. I've got to reverse engineer this thing you guys found a year ago out in the desert. I need to find out what it means. Don't bug me unless it's bureau business. I'm not out to sign autographs. I'm here to do the job. And he'd just walk away back to his lab. Yeah. However, because he is lawful good, he does have that obligation to the greater good. So he would be hard-pressed to stay out of our sight, though, because he is, he fully, fully believes that what he does helps society. Very quick interview. It's like, yeah, I'm the head of R&D. I make sure that all the tech for these guys works. If you excuse me, I got things to do and walk off. I don't see him getting any limelight. He would do just enough PR to let it be known, I'm the guy that gives all these guys their wonderful toys. And that's it. If Ray Robertson gets in the limelight, it's not going to be Ray Robertson. It's going to be a robot version of him he designed to do the job. Hello, you've reached the life tunnel decoy of Ray Robertson. Please leave a message at the top. Are you sure he wouldn't have, like, four spare cell phones and, Hi, this is Ray. You shouldn't have this number. And then it beeps. And you don't have the number anymore. What number was that again? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) Oh no! Just from the stats, I because uh, for D twenty folks, the Bureau thirteen D twenty, I had to make stats for all these people. Not an easy task, let me tell you. And with the stats that Robertson has, he yeah. would have to go underground because of the knowledge that this man knows. Uh, like Bruce said, he would be an enemy of the state. It's like, wait a minute, this is the guy that's been funding. This is the guy that's been giving the Bureau all, all of their neat toys and weapons and gadgets and computers and everything. Oh no, we want him one way or another. He would have to go underground because you'd have other governments doing silent extraction ops against him. And, of course, you know, the stuff that he has in his lab would just 
turn these guys into ash, you know, just uh, it's like, no, you can't have me. Get out of here. You may find yourself sitting someplace on Altera's Four in a bar going, okay. A trial with a traxi, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you find yourself one inch tall. Ooh. Yeah, but I'm, I'm seeing here is just his, let's see, craft chemical, electric, mechanical, structural. They're all greater than human maximum. Oh, yeah, because I built him that way. I made sure to make sure that he had all those stats high because that's all the stuff he has to deal with. He's got to know what the heck he's dealing with when a bureau agent brings in, yeah, we found this flying saucer out in the Pacific Northwest. Break it down and tell us what it can do. Oh, that's a Model 5. You can put it over there with those other Model 5s. But Ray, yeah, I don't see him going public. The bureau would want him hidden. You know, that means where are they going to put him? Did we mention that they probably would not make Bangor Main visible? We already mentioned that Bangor Main would not come to light at all. Yeah, that's probably where he'd go. He'd probably would go to Bangor Main <laughs> and hide out there. Yeah. Him, him his kid. And he'd be fine with that. Yeah. Honestly, I don't see him as being that interesting of a character for this scenario that we've plugged. I think you guys are right. I think he goes into hiding. We don't really see him. He's not really a big deal. He's Q. Yep. Yep, he just kind of just slips out of the out of the uh, the site, right? And he's cool with that. He doesn't want to be approached by corporations and stuff. He's he's happy where he is, and he does what he does. Cinesac, Cinesac, Koenig, and Brian. Yes, you know who Brian is, don't you? No, William Jennings Brian. Okay, I don't know who that is. Famous lawyer, dead. No, oh, okay. <laughs> But these guys become exceptionally pivotal during this time. I mean, these guys, their law firm blows up because now they are handling all the civil cases and everything that involves supernatural stuff. They are the experts on this. They're going to become a billion-dollar corporation practically overnight. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. This is the greatest thing to ever happen to them, and they're ready to jump on this when it happens. It's going to be like the Ghostbusters commercial. We are ready to believe you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's funny. This is another one based on a real person. Richard Senesak is a friend of Rich's. So, yeah, this is another one of those based on a real person. These are the guys that actually run a case to the Supreme Court and actually sue a ghost. Because William Jennings Bryan is there as part of the group. They find a way to legally make it happen through a Supreme Court ruling that they, that you can actually prosecute dead people. You know, it's like, well, you can't prosecute him. He's dead. He's like, oh, no. Mm-mm. No, he's undead. And I can go after the people who receive money from his will. It's like, you can't touch that. He's dead. But yes, we can. They absolutely want to do that because there are a lot of undead that are walking around. They're called vampires, ghouls, Frankenstein-type monsters that have massive amounts of wealth that should go to their victims and the families of their victims. Can you imagine this class action suits that will go up against vampires that have been feasting off the blood of the living surreptitiously for the past thousand years the ghost of harry hughes shows up and says uh, you guys have really screwed up my my will in last testament i want to sue you guys you have ghosts suing family members it's like you guys breached my will <laughs> and they revisit the case and he says no and the guy's like well well uh, harry hughes told me that i could do this with the money he's like no i didn't i never said that it turns out that the guy who who had howard hughes last will and was of course proven false no that was howard hughes last will uh- <laughs> not only do you have to clear all this kind of stuff up but think about it from a more practical term if you're a vampire and you've been passing your money to yourself through time you know like trying to keep your money relevant through whatever kind of legal means you've done. Now you can go to these guys and say, all right, look, you know this money that I've been like like kind of faking the system? I, I want to be legal now. You know, Now that this thing has become a legal thing, I need you to turn all this money that I gave to myself under an assumed name to now be under my name. I need you to fix my affairs for me and clean my last 300 years up. That's money laundering, sir. We don't do money laundering 
<laughs> Technically, it would be. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, <laughs> they would be pivotal in changing those laws and making it possible for vampires and stuff to come out and clear all these records up so that there was an actual clear path. Because otherwise, you really don't want to disenfranchise all of these vampires and stuff who've been passing money to themselves and say, oh, well, you guys have been cheating the system, so none of you have any money anymore. You don't want to do that. That's not a good idea. Here's another thing. If the vampires are coming out, that you know, they become legal. If they want to become legal citizens, like, I don't know, she, there you go. Now you need legal citizenship. So these guys would come in and try and probably be the ones to, to help figure that mess out. Though I can see one vampire, at least a few vampires, claiming, I was born here before this became the United States. I do not fall under your laws, yeah. Yeah, or no, or by this clause in the Constitution, I, I am a citizen. There is a clause for, for if you're a resident of the United States... Born before they became the United States, born in the American colonies, you're a citizen. That was to handle all these people who were in their 80s, make sure they were still a citizen when the United States became a country. So it was a grandfather clause. What's her name? The succubus character? Half succubus? She's a legal alien, yeah. Right. She has to clear herself up. She would have to deal with the government of Egypt in that case. There's all this stuff that needs to be ironed out and figured out, and I'm telling you, these are the guys to do it. The illegitimate government each, because they don't have their own problems when all those members sit up and say, <laughs> whose country is this again? Yeah, one of the pharaohs is like, what the heck, man? <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking about running Bureau 13, you're thinking about doing this, this whole thing, don't get bogged down with like trying to figure out all the permutations of this. I would just say that they are handling it for the most part. They're probably the biggest firm handling it. There are other firms handling it, but they're probably the biggest. But whatever you want to do in your world... Like if you want to say this is how things are working, don't try and figure out how they figured it out or how it was litigated and all that. Just say that it was and they were the ones to do it and then just leave it at that. Don't have to get too complicated. Brian may actually be able to get a salary. I think he'd like that. Because if you think about it, it's like what does a ghost need money for? Well, he might need money because – you know, he's still a personality, you know, he's still a person. So what if he wants to fund charities or what if he wants to uh, help other people out or... There's two reasons why you end up with a ghost. One, they had a very violent death and they basically don't really know that they're dead. They just hang around and, you know, and they do things or they have an unfinished task. Right. Where, where is holding Bryant on this earth is one hell of a task. Or maybe they just don't want to go. There's always that too. But but the point of the matter is is that you might have a ghost who does want to earn money, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's like, well, see, I have this unfinished task because there was this – my house was destroyed and I felt really bad about it. So I really wanted it rebuilt. So I want to earn the money so that I can buy that land back from the person who has it now and rebuild my house, and then I can pass on to the next level. So it would be important for things like ghosts to have citizenship and be able to earn money if they're contributing you know, to society in some way. Somebody wants to pay them. There is a place for that. So let's go on to this very next interesting, interesting entry. Uh, <laughs> I think Bruce would know most about, about this entry. <laughs> Oh, gee. Uh, you know, can we be more self-referential? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who are these chefers anyway? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> They're basically depicting my family as kind of an old-school military family. It's like a Knight Templar. So proud of having this long history of people as part of the Bureau. And that's great, you know. It's really more like a TV show called Stingray. And it was this guy, and he would solve your problem, but you owed him a favor. And then he would call you on that favor. Sometimes something little, sometimes something big. Whatever it was, you had to do it. And that's kind of like the way they're showing this here. And that's, uh, you know, that's fine. So what would you do, Bruce, if Eric if, if got out you worked, you did work for the Bureau? Probably, since my fingers are already in politics, entertainment, newspapers, brewing, and countless other facets of everyday life, we'd probably ramp it up. Like one of those Japanese dynasties or business groups they have in anime. The kids pull up to the high school from the limousine, and we would be like movers and shakers behind the scenes. So we would definitely be busy. We could make all kinds of deals that we never could do before. We could access resources that we couldn't access before because they would not be 
public. They were hidden. They were secret. Now they're not secret anymore. So when someone has a problem, I can say, well, okay, so, you, know, you need somebody to entertain this small child. Okay, well, you know, here's uh, the midget brigade from Planet Nine. They've been looking for a gig. <laughs> yeah. Now on to this guy named Rich Tohoka. What he's really saying is, is that this book, this game you're you're reading, this book you're you're playing, it's really true, and this is the only way he can get it out without either it sounding crazy or without people coming and knocking on his door and saying you've broken the rules. You know what's going to happen now. If you were trying to reveal the uh, the existence of the bureau, what better way than in a fictionalized format like a game or a novel? Oh yeah. So Richard, he was the former head of disinformation. The Bureau 13 game and everything that's happened for the past 35 years is all part of the disinformation process. Even this podcast is part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. You know, you'll never know when it's not really Blix talking. It's really Richard talking through a voice changer. Speaking of which, in the uh, Savage World edition of Bureau 13, you never have a Blix character. I don't care what you do with him. You got to put him in there somewhere. <laughs> He's the Bureau's connection to DARPA. Oh, I like that. No, that works. That's <laughs> there good. you that's, go. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's almost my job. Yeah, it, it's funny, folks. When I had to do the stats for, for Rich, I'm sitting there just thinking, going, yeah, I got to make stats for my boss. No pressure. Yeah, thankfully, Rich is not exactly familiar with D20 Modern, so there was not a lot of – I thought about it and said, he wouldn't understand half of what I put on this sheet anyway, so I really don't have a problem. It's like other people, they would know. It's like yay or nay, yeah. But Rich, after yeah. I realized, he made a face when he was given the D20 modern book. It was just like, you know, just like he was like, okay, yeah, it's a new rule system. Yeah. He probably made an even bigger face when you showed him the stat block. Yeah, exactly. I had a lot of fun because, yeah, Rich is just a wealth of information. If you've ever talked to him at a con or something, oh, yeah, he, the man's got some stories to tell. When I made the character, it's like, yeah, I took some liberties with it because at one time he was a bureau agent. Therefore, he had these the weapons proficiencies, the mm -hmm. the combat training a little bit, and just going from there, you know, he had... Let's see, I gave him 10 levels of uh, Bureau Agent, so he's got all the talents like create background, evidence dispersal, supernatural resistance, uh, paranoid reaction, equipment upgrade. So it's like, yeah, he, he got all of these things in the character. And I still find it, his basement secret office is a fortified arsenal of paranormal files and a few artifacts. <laughs> Sure. And I, I've seen the secret door to that place. Oh, yeah, as have I. And so, as a matter of fact, as Amber. Yeah, yeah. you got to watch out for that nasty linoleum floor, too. That's trap, too. Amber didn't pay attention to that trap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Mr. J.P. Withers. Ray Robinson's best buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So one person you can probably call J.P. Withers uh, his best friend, that's Ray Robinson. And that should make you run in the corner and hide and scream. <laughs> That's not true, John. Every bureau agent is J.P. Withers' best friend when the chips are down and they need him. I'm not big into Bureau 13. I was always a fringeworthy guy. He seems to be like an, a very important person. Where does he come from? What is the background story? Is he like somebody Rich knows or something? J.P. Withers is a friend of mine that I met as a teen in Huntington, West Virginia. I took him to meet Richard after he discovered the game. I ran him through some games. He was always a crazy gamer. You know, he just loved to do all the most outrageous things possible. His characters died all the time because he was doing stuff that he wasn't supposed to do and having a great time doing it. So I brought him to, to Richard at a Gen Con, and, and we were having a lot of fun talking about it. And then I wrote up J.P. Withers as a Bureau 13 character. And I handed it to Richard, and Richard says, oh, we've got to do this, because his next session was going to be a Bureau 13 demo. And Richard turns around and hands J.P. Withers his own self as a character. Basically, Richard said that that particular game demo was epic. <laughs> and proceeded to offer J.P. A, a reasonable sum for his 
identity as a character in his game in perpetuity. JP, as a young lad needing money, gladly forked over his identity and has ever since been part of the Bureau 13 game. So so let me ask you real quick. JP, what, do you still know this guy? Is he still around? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's living out in California, the, the person that the character is based on. Do, does he go to conventions anymore? Does he do any of that kind of stuff? He goes to a number of things. One of his favorite things is Burning Man. Oh, Burning Man, yeah. Uh, you know, yes. I've always wanted to go to uh, that. Amber and I know people who will be heading to that, yeah. He doesn't go to, like, Gen Con or anything, does he? No, he doesn't go to Gen Con. He hasn't done that for quite some time. I did run a, a play-by-post game with him as playing one of the characters. Not J.P. Withers, but playing play another character, and it was great. He was, he was a great role player. So anyway, so how does J.P. Withers... Uh... He becomes the most hunted man in the, in the United States, if not the world. Really? Okay. So explain this. Why, why is that? Because he solves problems with dynamite. Think of the worst A-team method of solving a problem, and then multiply it by 10. All right, so hold on, wait. So he's not a bureau agent, right? On page 55, although technically still on active duty, JP has received no assignments from the bureau in a decade, and many believe the hierarchy is terrified of him. So hold on, wait. So he's a rogue agent in in essence. Yes. Mm -hmm. Bureau hasn't disowned him because he gets results. Yes. Yeah. He's Batman. He's a vigilante. Think about that. He scares people who run the Bureau. And you know what? They they don't take him out because he gets results. He gets stuff done. No, they'd lose an X-team trying to take him out. <laughs> they could bring the hammer down and he'd be done if they really wanted to. If they really wanted to take him out, he'd be taken out. If the Bureau, before they got outed, were to try to take JP out... They would out themselves with the amount of firepower they would have to take to take J.P. Withers out. Right, exactly. Do you know why there are no stats for J.P. Withers? I don't why know. I, why he's never had stats? He's of that thing, that maximum role-playing, if you can stat it, you can kill it. He's a force of nature. It is rumored he is blessed by both heaven and hell for services rendered. He has the big guy on his side. So in other words, he is essentially Batman with God on his side. And Conan wrapped all together. Uh, except that he can't fly. He, he's almost like Superman being Batman. No, I say Conan because you got to remember, when Howard wrote Conan, it was with the assumption that Conan was favored by the gods. He really couldn't lose because the gods were protecting him. He was an instrument of the gods. So J.P. Withers is sort of like a Conan slash Batman kind of thing. And he's a good guy, though. He's, he's, a, he's a force of good, right? Collateral damage follows him wherever he goes. Well, hold on, wait. He's a force of good, but the ends justify the means. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is a tornado of goodness. Yeah. By the way, that's the name of my new Kansas cover band. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The Bureau comes out. All these supernatural agencies, the supernatural creatures and stuff come out. J.P. Withers, of course, eventually winds up in the news for whatever reason. How does it affect the world now? Like, you're saying the world's going to hunt him? I No. Yeah. No? no. Yes, no. What? The world is going to hunt him. Well, it just depends on whether or not the Bureau continues to hide his identity. Because uh, he's been at the site of many, many instances of breaking Bureau agents out of jail and en- engaging in large-scale public destruction. So by every definition, he is a domestic terrorist. However, he's always doing it for the right reason even though his methods might be extreme. He would disagree. He would say that you have no idea what would have happened if I hadn't done that. So therefore, your argument is invalid, assuming that he even bothered to answer that question. He's kind of Hellboy in a way. Yeah. All this stuff happened, right? It's like, really, honestly, what did you want me to do? I mean, a demon escaped from hell... And I took him out, and yeah, a building fell in the city, but how was I supposed to stop that? It was a demon from hell. Yeah. I I had to protect buildings, too. It's like, I stopped him. He is not operating under the Bureau cascading rule of ethics. If Bureau agents have actually left the United States and gotten into deep doo-doo and say enough to actually call and ask him for help, he'd show up and help them. And, of course, cause a national, an international incident in the process. But he'd be there to help him. If you get a message to J.P. Withers and you can convince him that it's, it's a good thing to, for him to come and help you, he will. And he'll get you out. And then you have to fail all the paperwork out while you call J.P. Withers to help you escape that Turkish prison. You know? <laughs> 
Is it one of these things where like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge? It's like we all know his methods are unethical and stuff, but he gets stuff done. So even though we politically have to make a big fuss about it, it's okay. If it's written that the beer hierarchy, the people in charge of beer are terrified of him, it's probably more of it was, don't poke the rabbit Wolverine because he may come after us. We'll throw him a chunk of meat every so often and let him do whatever he wants. I guess my point is that, you know, the people playing this, the, our listeners right now who are playing Bureau 13, they're playing Bureau 13 members, and they have to deal with J.P. Withers. Is it one of the things where, like, if he if you bring him into the adventure, the Bureau agents, your characters, are going to probably wind up helping him in some way, and they're probably going to catch some for it or whatever, but in the end, it's going to be all brushed aside. No one's going to really make a big stink of it. J.P. Weathers has always been portrayed as he's the last resort. And it's got to be a last resort where your character will die, or it will at least be inconvenienced forever. All beer agents have his phone number. It's in your speed dial. Yeah. No matter what phone you use. So in other words, Cthulhu starts rising from Rallier. J.P. Weathers on the speed dial. <laughs> yeah. That'd be about the level, you know, because it's only after you, you, you've exhausted everything else. You used up all the Elder Signs. You tried to make the stars right with a wish. It doesn't work. Time to call JP. Or the Game Master starts the adventure off with JP Withers shows up. It's like, oh, this must be really serious. He showed up at my door saying, this is what we need to do. This is how we started this adventure. That actually would make for an interesting adventure. Running shotgun with JP Withers. Right. He shows up at your door and says, I need you. Come with me. <laughs> it's like, oh. oh, this must be real. If you want to live, come with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, as much as he likes Bureau 13 agents, he's not above saying, if you want your world to live, come with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be a price to pay, and it's not going to be his. Yeah, the thing with J.P. Withers, I've mentioned previously the concept of Omega Teams. Teams that deal with world-shattering threats, that the type of threats that the Bureau might get outed on. J.P. Withers is an Omega agent because <laughs> nobody wants to work with J.P. Withers because of how he operates. So if you are called, if he comes to you and says, you need to come with me, be afraid. Be very afraid. Is this kind of one of those things where you're going to have some sort of purple unit its head out the window saying, no time to explain, get in the van. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. <laughs> this guy, Professor Artemis Wolf. Yeah, and there is a place called Paw Paw, Michigan. It's yes, a real there place. is. I've been through it on the way to and from MarsCon, yes. So probably about two hours east of Chicago, I would say. So what about this guy? Beefy man with wide shots. He's a big dude. He's a physician, obviously. One of his allegiances I gave him was the Hippocratic Oath, so he is a licensed physician. So he's like a good-looking dude, big, beefy, like like physical man, but he's also a doctor. Yes. Yep. He runs the the bureaus where controls the center. This guy deals with where with lycanthropes. This guy is really pivotal during this time. I mean, yeah, lycanthropy base stuff specifically he'd probably also give you a a good run for your money on any cryptozoology i would imagine all right the bureau's outed werewolves are out of this whole thing so you've got this parent who comes to him and says my daughter was turned into a werewolf uh artemis can you help me is there a cure? Is there? I mean, is this is this the guy that, that that people will be approaching with this kind of stuff? Artemis Wolf is more about curing them of being wares. Is this the guy that goes on, say, a talk show? Nah, no, nah. He, he's too busy trying to, to to find a cure for these people. You know, the guy who's a weird chipmunk. He, he's the guy that would do the PSA. He'd be there, staying there in his lab coat, and he says. If you are having anger issues around the new moon, if you have a history of sudden hairiness, if you have this strange desire for (laughs) foods at specific times during the month, please get a blood sample taken and send to our screening center, and we'll let you know if further treatment is warranted. You know who I see approaching this guy? Uh, I see, like, uh, infectious disease, like like the CDC 
approaching him and saying, I see him spending a lot of time working with, with like the CDC, maybe working with Hopkins. Like when this outing happens, his career goes through the roof. This guy becomes one of the top doctors in the world. Yeah. And he'll also be able to tell you if that if your girl did turn into a werewolf, whether it's the infectious kind caused by disease or if it's the cursed kind or if you didn't realize that you have a lycanthrope gene in your family line. Right. And so does your husband and they, well, mix together and you're dodge a lycanthrope. We can't cure that. That's genetic. But we can suppress it. Yes. See, when he says it led to the creation of of a wear vaccine. I'm not sure that, that Richard used the right word there because previously the wear drug was a suppression drug. It wasn't a, I give you this shot before you ever turn into a werewolf and you never turn into a werewolf. Unless this is something he was introducing new in the D20 edition, it was always something that was along the lines of the side deadening drug where it just simply kept you from expressing being a werewolf. Yeah. Now, if it's a curse kind, you can shoot all that stuff all you want. It's not going to keep it from happening. Curses are always different from a disease or something on that line, or if it's genetic. If it's genetic, it still could be suppressed. Yes, genetic can be suppressed. But if you're cursed to be a werewolf, eh, you need to talk to some guy wearing a dog collar. You just need to talk to a good welder, make a nice cage for you, you know, for a couple of days every month. So because of his expertise mm-hmm. and the knowledge that he has... You might say he's going to be hounded by people who need of his services? Uh, there'll be wolves at his door, yes. <laughs> okay. But also, he probably end up founding the new CDC uh, division of uh, lycanthropy uh, treatment. Oh, yeah, yeah. He may go work for who? The World Health Organization. Okay, all right. Let's see. Expert on the medical aspects of the occult. Yeah, he would end up being not just to wear the lycanthropy-based stuff. He would cover cryptozoology. So it would be things like the Zug Island monster, the Wixom panther. He would also know about things. Those are cryptozoological things here in Michigan. He would be an expert on that as well. He would be called upon... For lots of things. This man would have a moment's rest. Well, I'm sure he has a cadre of underlings that are very highly trained. He says he runs a lab, so yeah. He's kind of like House. He's the other side of the forensic SWAT team. He's what deals with the bodies is still kicking. But but hold on, wouldn't he would collaborate with like the, the Weinstein's forensic SWAT team? Absolutely. So he's probably doing a lot of work with them at this point. He was probably already collaborating with them. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about Doc Ock and his list of people that are super experts in their field, it doesn't mean that there's somebody different than the other friends of the Bureau. They could be some of the other friends. Right. Oh, yeah. Bureau 13 having to out themselves due to some major catastrophe would mean that it would ripple out among those it works with. Those who are their allies, those who are their enemies and those who are straddling the fence and work with the Bureau for their own motives. We have just begun to explore how the repercussions of Bureau 13 outing themselves have affected various people. We hope that as we explore more of these, we gain more insight into those people as well as the Bureau's own views and plans due to having to reveal themselves to the world at large and as well as the things that they have been hiding for the past 150 years from the American public and the world. Please, if you have any questions about how this would occur or your own suggestions, please contact us on the Facebook group Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere, fans of the TriTech podcast at TriTechGamers.com, our Yahoo groups, and, of course, on tritechsystems.podbean.com, where you get this podcast itself. We would love to hear from all of you. We also have the Tritech Games Google Plus community as well. Oh, yes, thank you, John. Yes, thank you for enlightening me to that. Yes, there as well. Please, we love feedback from you people. While you're there on your computer typing uh, th- this feedback, go over to iTunes and leave a review. We are available on iTunes as well. Please, I believe you would get us by searching for Fringeworthy. Or TriTech Games. So please, those aforementioned means of communication, let us know your views on how, if the Bureau had to out themselves to the world at large, how you would feel it would affect 
them, the world, and those that they interact with on a basis of friend, ally, or neutral entity. So for all of us here at the TriTag Games Podcast, until next time. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.